All right. Thank you, Pastor Ryan, brother of the same shirt. (laughs) Hey, I am super stoked to be here with you guys this morning because I'm excited to share God's word with you. I'm excited to share um, a large part of my story with you. And so that's really big for me. Uh, No Jesus, no peace. Maybe you guys have seen this like on a bumper sticker before or on a meme or something like that. Uh, This message is, it's very important for me. It's very personal to me. It describes how Jesus changed me as a person. I want to share God's word with you today, but I also want to share some of my story with you today. And when I, when I do that, when I share my story with you, I mean to exalt Christ. I mean to make much of Christ. I want to lift Jesus high. Um, I'm brown and skinny for a reason. Because I want to be like a signpost. You know what I mean? And just lift up Jesus and say, here's Jesus. Okay? So, like, it's intentional to this bod. Okay? Uh, I want to exalt Christ. And the message I want, I believe we're seeing God's word today, is uh, that we're to, that knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers in life. Knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers in life. You could even say it like this. Knowing Jesus is the up to the down. And I really wanted to spell that out in, like, clever emojis for you, like Pastor Ryan uses emojis, you know. But I did not. So I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, I've had a lot of ups in my life. I've had a lot of downs in my life. And I suspect that you have, too. I think you've had some ups and some downs. I think maybe you can relate to that. There's some low lows in life. Now, that could be like a job that is not going like you'd like it to go. It could be a relationship maybe with um, a friend or a spouse or, or just your family that's not going how you'd like it to. It could be um, a school test you're thinking about taking or the way your education is going or a medical test not going well for you. Or maybe it's uh, discord in your family or maybe even in church. When these downs get us down, they can get us really down. And they tend to steal our sleep. They tend to steal our joy. They tend to steal our um, drive for the purpose that God has given us in life. Now, one slight down I had recently, I'll share with you. Um, a couple weeks ago, Ryan, Pastor Ryan said, you know, you're going to preach in the next couple weeks. I said, great. I love preaching. I love sharing my story. I love sharing God's word. And, he's, and I remember he said this in, like, a really cool white shirt button-up with, like, really cool anchors on it. And I'm like, dude, that's a really cool shirt. And he's like, I know, thanks. I'm like, you know, your wife picked that out for you. Your girls pick it out for you, whatever. And other people said, hey, Ryan, that's, like, a really cool shirt, you know. And so I'm thinking, all right, I'm preaching in a few weeks, and I totally need to up my shirt game. Because, like, I'm slightly younger than Pastor Ryan, and, you know, I, I can't be shown up. And so yesterday I do something probably against my better judgment. I go to Ross like right before school starts. And like you go into Ross right before, school, right before school starts, every single item of clothing is either in someone's cart or on the ground in Ross right then, okay? And so I come across this shirt and I'm like, yeah, this is the one. Fit, looks cool, you know, everything. So then I walk in, right, and like triumph this morning to find that Pastor Ryan has like the exact same shirt, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm not as cool as I thought I was, except, you know, my shirt, you know, it's got like, these little chevrons that are like mauve or something, and his are white. So that's like the only difference, you know. That's just to kind of <laughs> kind of lighten things here. Knowing Jesus truly is the upside in the downside of 
of life. And, and I think you guys may be able to relate uh, to that with me. I want you to know that Jesus gave me hope in a lot of the downs in my life. Jesus gave me hope, and he can do the same for you. I don't, I don't know a lot of you guys. I want to know you. I want to meet you and get to know you more. So I don't know you, and I don't know what you've been through, but you do, and Jesus does. And I want you to know that from his word, he can give you hope today. It's possi- it was possible for me, and it's possible for you. So we open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. You can open your physical Bible or open your Bible app. Turn or scroll to this passage. Knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers of life. First point I have to illustrate that today is that a life spent close to Christ is a life spent close to the church. Our relationships in church should have substance. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Look at the way people describe these Philippians. My brothers, whom I love, my joy, my crown. He calls them my beloved. When's the last time you called someone your beloved? You know, I don't know. What Paul is really trying to say here is he's very, very close with these people. He shared teaching with them. Yes, he shared doctrine with them, and that's important, but he, sh- he shared his life with them. They've been in ups and downs together. When they started Philippi, there were some really good things about starting that church, and there were some really hard things about starting that church. Not everyone wanted that church around, but yet these people have been through the ups and the downs together, finding that knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers in life. You can be close to Jesus and close to people in his church. And with this, he talks about being steadfast or standing firm. Our relationship should strive for Christ-likeness in one another. It's important to understand what Paul means by steadfast or standing firm here. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever built fence before. This is Idaho. So, okay, yeah, cool, right? You've built fence. Now, saw some ladies raising your hand, too. That's impressive. Cool. All right. So when you're building fence, I don't know about you guys, but what I found is, like, you go to, like, the most hardest pan dirt possible. I don't know why. <laughs> and then you, like, have this contraption. You try to shove it down on the ground and pull out that dirt to put the fence pole in, right? And then you want to cover it back up with dirt. And when you do that, that fence pole, like, it's not moving. Like, it just stays right there. Why? Because, I mean, cattle have to come and brush up against it and and sheep and whatnot, and it needs to stay there or else bad things happen, right? Well, Paul describes his desire for our faith as the same thing, immovable, an immovable faith in Jesus. I want you to know that I did grow up in the church, but for the longest time, um, my faith was movable. Not immovable, I mean movable. In other words, what I'm saying is I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, but my walk with Jesus was not, not very close. As a young man between, you know, 14 and 20 or 21, I became very pharisaical. What I mean by that is I began to compare myself to others. Like, well, I've got these friends, and they do these bad things, and I don't do those bad things as much as them, so I must be good, right? And they, they do and say these, these negative things, and, and I'm... I do it to a lesser degree, so I'm all right. And I give God his time on Wednesday because I go to youth group. And I give God his time on Sunday because I go to church. I give God his time. And then so as I go about my life, God should, should then pay back to me. It's a very dangerous, sad way 
to live your life with people and with God right there. God had to do something in my life to help my faith be immovable. He had to do something to help me see that uh, knowing Jesus is um, the upside to the downers in life. So let me ask you this morning, what is God going to have to do to bring steadfastness in you? God's conforming you to the image of Christ, and that's a very good thing. What is he going to have to do in you to make you immovable in your faith? God uses us to help each other with that process. He wants to show you and he wants to show everyone else that knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers in life. He uses the church oftentimes to do this. This is my next point, that church and doing this, uh, church is a huddle, not a courtroom. Church is a huddle, not a courtroom. Uh, Read verses 2 and 3 with me. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syndiki to agree in the Lord Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose name are found in the book of life. Yodia and Syndiki. I don't know if you guys know my wife is pregnant, about 10 weeks pregnant with our fourth child. And these two names, Yodia and Syndiki, are definitely not on our list. (laughs) Definitely not ones we're going to pick. Okay? But they're here in the situation, and they're fighting. There is discord. There's quarreling between them. There's also this third person, a true companion, who's expected to help these two likely ladies solve their issues together. Church is a place where we facilitate peacemaking between one another, okay? And God is a God of peace, and he wants his people to be a people of peace. And he says, I entreat Yodia and Syndiki. What he means when he says, I entreat... He's using this tone that's like loving, but yet firm. Now, Paul takes a lot of different tones with people. He's choosing here a loving yet firm tone. And he's asking them to agree with one another. Now, what do they mean by agree? What what does it mean by agree here? It means to have one mind together. And that mind is the mind of Christ. So think back to, um, I believe it was Pastor Luke's sermon on Philippians 2 and how Jesus' mind was one of unity in, in God's purpose, right? It was one of humility. It was one of being a servant, serving one another. The church is a huddle, not a courtroom. Think about the differences between a huddle and a courtroom. And I want to share a story with you from, from my life here. I remember how I said I was kind of wayward from four, 14 to, to 20. I remember that at 14, or excuse me, down the line a little bit, like at 18, I just decided to not go to church at all. I decided I had other things to do. And I walked out of church in ripped jeans and tight band shirts and long hair, like Mowgli long hair, right? Like Jungle Book status, okay? And then here I am, a few years later down the road, um, God allowed some very painful things to happen in my life at around 18, 19, 20, through relationships, through finances, through all these things, and brought me to my knees and brought me back to what I know is true in church, right? And so I went back to church at like 20 years old. And I remember I walked back into church like I left. <laughs> and I walked in in those ripped jeans and band shirts that were too tight and mowgli long black hair, you know? You know what I found? I didn't find a courtroom. I found a huddle. Think about the differences between courtroom and huddle. Basically, there's this huge, these huge differences 
courtrooms are for pointing out faults, right? Therefore, like convicting people in a negative sense, right? Therefore, just pointing fingers. Where a huddle is for a team to come around each other to press on toward one common goal. And that's what I found at that church. I found people that loved Jesus and loved others. They were involving people in the life of Christ, and they were involving Christ in the life of people. And that's why we exist as involved church, right? And they were in this huddle, and they were loving each other. They were loving God. They were even loving me in my ripped jeans and tight shirts and long Mowgli hair, which I've since rid myself of. Anyhow, <laughs> pictures, ask my wife. All right, so um, anyhow, they, they loved God. They loved each other. They, they loved me. They made that very clear, that God loved me, but he had expectations of form, for me in his word. So I want to ask you and, and really tell you, what side are you fighting on? Are you fighting against someone? Are you fighting with your Christian brothers and sisters toward these goals that we have here? in Christ, together, as a family. Why? Because church is a family. And when families fight, it's hard. I know something about that. You may know something about when families fight. I fought with my family for a long time. But at 20, when, I was, um, when God was doing a lot of heavy lifting in my life, I began to not just reconcile with Jesus, but reconcile with my, 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 my parents. And for a while, I hadn't been able to live in their house. They, they were good parents, and they had expectations, and I wanted to break those expectations. I believe that God brought me to repentance over that, and I apologized to my parents, and they apologized to me for some things. And, and we began to dwell under one roof together as one household again, and that was a really exciting, fun, joyful time in my life. We began praying together again. That just illustrates to me in my life how Jesus is the upside to the downside in life. Do you know what it's like to experience that kind of peace? Once we have that kind of peace in Jesus, God wants us to keep that peace. Think about that, keeping that peace. Now, I've shared with you about what that meant in my circle and my family. Think about your circle. Think about the situations you're in every day. How can you be like that true companion and facilitate peace in your workplace, in your family, among your friends, among your church, wherever you are. Keep the peace of Christ. Read with me verses 4 through 7. Paul says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a, a list here of things that Paul gives us. If you want peace, if you want to have peace and keep peace and knowing Jesus, here's got to be like a model for your life, if you will. These are the steps that get you into the realm of being close to Jesus, knowing him and him being the upside in those downers in life. He says rejoice here. And he says it twice, actually. He wants you to take cheer, to take happiness in what is yours in Jesus. That Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that by believing in that, we can have a life in him with heaven forever, and we can have a life with Jesus right now. Did you know that? Jesus exists now to nourish and cherish you as a believer in him. Right now, today. He says, be reasonable. 
Reasonable is like um, temperate or like appropriate or mild, you could say. Uh, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room and saw someone. You're like, oh, man, are they happy or sad? Today? Are they up or down today? They're like on that like emotional teeter-totter, you know what I mean? Maybe you've been that person. I know I have at times. The mild person is even, right? The mild person is steady, is firm in Christ. Paul says, don't be anxious about things. In other words, don't be, don't be anxious, don't be fearful. Don't elevate other things as bigger than God because they're not. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes we take our fears of a situation or a person or, or a thing, and, and that thing becomes really big in our minds and hearts, and God seems small. And that's not true. God is big, and that thing is small. Don't be anxious. Pray. Let your request be known to God. Give thanks. It's okay to pour out your heart to God. Did you know that? I hadn't been doing that for most of my life. I looked back on my life at 20 years old, and I thought, you know, if I die tomorrow, I felt like I had wasted most of my life. I don't want to feel like that. I don't want you to feel like that. I never really made a, a practice out of pouring out my heart to God. God wants you to pour your heart out to him. He wants you to just get out everything that's in there in a way that, that brings you closer to Jesus. He wants you to pour out your heart to him so that he can pour his heart into you. Does that make sense? There's a purpose for um, our thanksgiving and our pouring our hearts out to him. God wants, you to bring, God wants to bring you close to him so that you can share one heart together. God wants us to turn our fears into prayers, and he wants us to turn our prayers over to him. Does that make sense? I don't always do that. Sometimes my fears just stay there. And they just rot and fester in me. God wants us to take our fears and turn them to prayers. And turn our prayers over to him. Let me give you an example, um, a very potent example in my own life of, of when this happened. So I, I was about um, 20 years old when this took place. And I remember at 20, life was looking up. I was close to Jesus again. I was close to God, close to, God, close to my family, close to others, right? And I had an extra spring in my step, probably whistled as I walked, you know. And I remember I had a routine doctor visit. I saw the doctor one time every year, and I went into the doctor, and uh, he kind of took a little more t- time with me this, this visit. And he was looking at a report, and he said, uh, your blood report came back in a way that concerns me. And like, I'm like, he's got my attention now, right? And he said, I'm pretty concerned about your, your blood counts, and I really want to send you to an oncologist in the next town up. And so I'm like 20, and I'm college. I'm in college, and I'm like learning big words and stuff like that, you know. But I knew enough to know that oncologist or to see an, the, the oncologist means cancer doctor, right? And so at 20, I'm like, whoa, 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 this can't be happening to me. I'm 20, right? Like my friends, they're they're starting families and they're starting careers and they're having kids and and they're going on like big trips and stuff like that and they're looking forward to their ne- their next future. And my future is an oncology waiting room? No, this can't be. And so I go to the oncologist the next town up, and I see him the next week, and then 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 the next week, and they take just gobs and gobs of my blood. And I think it was like six or seven weeks in where I just finally asked the dude, I'm like, hey, like, I've been going to you for seven weeks, and you've not told me a single thing about what's wrong with me. Not one. What is wrong with me? And he's like, I don't know. But whatever's wrong with you is going to kill you sooner than later. Those are his exact words, right? And he just kind of walks out, and I'm like, 
well, that's great, <laughs> you know? And, and, and immediately, like, like, this rage and sadness just kind of, like, fell over me, right? Because I don't know what's going to happen to me. And so I go to the, to the counter, and she says, the doctor booked you um, an appointment in San Francisco and their oncology unit. Okay, I'm like, all right. So, like, next week, she's like, nine months from now. And I'm like, <laughs> so I get to wait in limbo for nine months for someone to maybe tell me what they think is wrong with me. This is not the news that a 20-year-old wanted. And I became sullen, and I became sad, and I became depressed. And I began to um, eat very little, and to just stay in my room all the time. I thought I'd already hit rock bottom. I thought things were looking up. And all of a sudden, things were back down. I became... um, depressed to the point that I, I would lash out at people close to me, and I'd lash out to my parents and those that love me, and I'd use the sick card, like, I'm mad today because I'm sick, and you're not sick like me, so you don't get it, you know what I mean? Like, I had this, like, card which said I get to sin. I don't get to do that. That's not right. People around me knew that, and instead of fleeing away from me, they drew close to me, And they did with me what this passage is saying. They rejoiced with me and the things that I did have. They gave thanks with me. They poured their heart out to God with me. Sometimes they let me do that. Sometimes they did that. And we did it together. Sometimes I did it by myself, and they encouraged me to do that. They pushed me towards peace in Christ. They pushed me toward knowing that Jesus is the upside to this downer in my life. So I began to make a habit out of rejoicing. I began to make a habit out of being in that huddle called the church. I began to make a habit out of giving thanks. I began to make a habit out of pouring my heart out to God and everything I was afraid of. And I began to make a habit of trying to establish peace in my heart through Jesus Christ. Because it's possible. It's right here for us, right here in the Word. I began to turn my fears into prayers and my my prayers over to God. And so nine months later, my parents and I walk into this oncologist's office in San Francisco, right? And I think this, like, elevator's taken forever. Sit down on the cold, hard metal seat in this oncologist's office. I look around, and there's several people in this room that are around my age. And all of them have no hair, are rail thin, have several broken bones, and several just clear ailments you can see. And I remember thinking to myself, God, is this me in just a few months? In just a few months, is this where I'm at? And all kinds of questions entered. How can this be fair? How can this be right? How can this be good? I remember we walked into the doctor's office getting called back, and the doctor literally looked at my chart, looked at me, and said, I don't know why you're here. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know why I'm here. You're supposed to tell me, you know, something else, you know. Uh, And he said, I don't know why you're here because your blood, it's different than most other people, but it's not bad. Like your blood has everything it needs to do for you. So you kind of, you know, you might want to stay away from these certain foods and you might, you know, want to give blood like a few times a year and things like that. But he literally told me like, I want you to go and have a nice life, (laughs) you know. And he was like, come back if you, like, grow any massive tumors or something like that, you know. But anything else, and, and, and you're, you're good, you know. And so there was, like, this um, huge jubilation in me. And me and my parents were giving thanks, you know. We went out to Indian food that night, and I was happy about that, which is weird because I hate Indian food, you know. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And it was just, it was really awesome. But you know what? That nine months that I'd spent being sick and that nine months I'd spent being like so down, I became so close to Christ in those nine months. Actually, that's the closest to God I've ever been. That's the most peace I've ever felt in my life. And I, I don't wish that experience on anybody, but I almost wish, I, I almost miss, I should say, the peace I felt in God at that point. That's not the end of my story. It goes on. I began to reflect over those nine months and to think, what was I showing people around me? Was I showing them that Christians are different? Was I showing them that there's, there is hope in Jesus? Because I'd said that for a long time. But was I actually showing other people that? And so I made up my goal. I want to help anyone I know come closer to God. I want to preach the gospel to them. I want to share God's love with them. I want them to be closer to God because they interacted with me. That, was my, that became my goal. I don't want, want to keep these practices that I'd learned while I was sick. And I want to ask you, how much do you spend time praying? How long do you pray every day? I want us to commit to setting aside time to pray every single day, to set aside time to rejoice in God and what we have, to give thanks to, and to pour out our hearts to God. I want us to set aside time for that. I want us to ask God that he will give every single one of us sitting here right now his heart, that he will help our hearts to be like his heart. So you're beginning to see here just how God finally lifts those downs, right? Finally lifting the downs. It's a little bit more instruction for us. Read with me uh, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul gives this long list of things that we're to think about, right? Excuse me, I'm going to go out on a little limb here, and I'm going to say when he's talking about these things, he's describing in in a lot of ways Jesus Christ. Like if you look back to... Philippians chapter 2, and you read about Jesus, and Jesus is described, you see a Jesus that is true, that is honorable, that is just, that is pure, that is lovely, that is commendable, that is excellent. He is worthy of all praise, right? I want us to think those thoughts. I, I believe that's what God wants us to do from here. Think those thoughts. And I also think that he wants us to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. So when you're thinking on Christ. Think about how he lived his life. One thing I want to do is I want to spend a lot more time in the Gospels, my, myself and my own personal devotional life. I want to read and, and dwell on how Jesus walked this earth. And I want to model that. How about you? I want to think about how Jesus was a servant and Jesus was humble to everyone around him. If that's our thought process, how could we go wrong with that? Paul's saying, take what you've learned, that you've received, and now practice it. In other words, go live it out. Go live out what you're learning from God's word. It's then that we'll experience God's peace. 
I've experienced God's peace, though it's been um, a rough road in a lot of ways. I've experienced that peace, and I believe God wants to give you that peace too through, uh, through his word here. I've talked about a few heavy things today. I want to talk about some positive things in my life, all right? So I am blessed now with a beautiful wife, Laura. Laura, you want to wave to all the fine folks? See, beautiful wife right there. And, and we, have, we are blessed with four children, three outside the womb, one inside the womb. And God has given uh, our family a dream to be involved in a church plant. We would really love to be involved in a church plant, preferably in the Treasure Valley right here. Now, though it had been a rough road for me, God brought my family to a place where we fostered this love for church planting. So here's what I mean. What I mean is one day, a few years ago, we decided that God loves us and God loves everyone else. And so we want to be about that, right? And so we went to Lowe's and we bought the cheapest fire pit possible. And fortunately for us, it would actually look pretty cool, okay? So we went to Lowe's, bought this fire pit. It cost like, I think like $35 or something like that. And we brought it home and we said, okay, we're going to invite over everyone we know. Everyone means everyone. Because God loves everyone, we're going to invite everyone over. They might believe in Jesus. They might not believe in Jesus. They might go to church. They might not go to church. They might live far away. They might live near us. They might be our neighbors. They might live across the street or whatever. And we're going to invite them over and we're going to have s'mores, right? Because who doesn't love s'mores? Raise your hand if you don't love s'mores. See, no one. Told you. Oh, sorry. Too late. Okay. I need to make you two a s'more. All right. Anyway, um, we chose to, like, make s'mores, right? And it was just making s'mores for a few weeks with, you know, maybe four to eight people. But as the weeks went on, those four to eight people began to share stories with each other about how they saw God working in their life. And some of those people began... Uh, sharing about how they believed in Jesus Christ, how, what, that, what that meant, that I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, I've accepted that, and now walking in that. And then that four to eight people, that, that group, it grew to like 10 people, and then it grew to like 20 people, and that grew to like 40 people, and we couldn't even meet in my backyard anymore. We had to find houses that were big enough to, to fit all these people. And all these people were like, yeah, well, we love sharing these stories about what Jesus is doing in our lives. Can we like sing some songs or, you know, do that around this campfire? I'm like, yeah, I love that. I, I love that, and that's why I want a church plant, because I think right there is the seedbed of what God is doing right now today in church planting. That's my dream. That's our dream. That's my story. It's not the end of my story, and it's not the end of your story. So I don't know where you're at in your story, and I don't know what you may be experiencing in terms of downers, but I want you to know that knowing Jesus is the upside to the downers in life. Will you please pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for all that you've done uh, in us and through us. Thank you for including us in your service. You didn't have to, but you asked us, help me seek lost people. You ask us, um, help me restore people back to Jesus. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for these things. I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for the opportunities you've given us. God, we, we are here and we ask you to change our heart. Give us your heart. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.